evening. Everybody doing okay? You awake? All right, I'll try not to put you to sleep then. We'll take count of who's awake now and who's awake in 10 minutes. So, Well, good. Hey, my name is Dallas. I'm one of the leaders here. If I haven't met you, I really would love the opportunity to meet you after the service and get to know you a little bit better. Let me tell you where we're at right now. We are in a series called Deep Tracks Only where we're doing five books of the Bible in five weeks, uh, five of really the least read books of the Bible in five weeks. And last week we talked about Obadiah and how he prophesied that there would be judgment to all nations, but there would be deliverance on Mount Zion, which we talked about foreshadows the kingdom of God. And, and we know now that Jesus came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So we talked about that last week. This week we're going to get into the book of Jude. Now, I thought maybe instead of doing Old Testament, we were planning to do Old Testament, but I thought let's just like spread out the wrath just a little bit and go to New Testament this week, but we'll be back in Old Testament next week. Uh, we're going to be in Jude. Let me give you a little bit of background on Jude. Jude is the second to last book of the Bible. Um, it is written, we don't know the exact audience it's written to, but we know it's very much likely Jewish Christians. And we know that because in Second Peter, uh, Peter actually references this letter from Jude, and his ministry was really primarily to uh, Jewish Christians at that time. Thank you, Morgan. And so, um, so we know it's written to Jewish Christians. Now, one thing you may or may not know is Jesus uh, is the brother of Jude. Now, I thought about this this week, and I'm like, what would it take for me to believe that my brother was the Son of God. I mean, think about that for a second. What would, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Son of God? I'm not even going to ask Tab that question. That would not be so good, right? What would it take? And probably what you're thinking is really the reality for Jude. He did not become a disciple of Jesus until after he saw the resurrected Jesus. I mean, his whole childhood, you got to think, there was no public ministry until the age of 30 for Jesus. So, you know, it's kind of a, a normal, regular life. He probably looked up to his brother, but he also saw his brother sweat and smell, probably, when he sweat and get sick and experience pain and all these different things, right? And again, there was no public ministry. So, when Jesus launches his public ministry at about the age of 30, you can imagine at that point he's thinking, all right, my brother's gone off his rocker, right? He's, he's lost it. He's lost control here. But when he sees his brother die a brutal death, and then a couple days later he sees him not dead, that'll change some things, won't it? And so at that point he says, all these things that I had thought evidently it's all true I mean all the things that Jesus was saying this whole time it's all true and so he had no choice but to become a disciple of Jesus at that point right and so he becomes so instrumental to the early church being Jesus's brother and now being a disciple of Jesus he has a very high level of influence in the church now another thing to note before we get into the book there are a couple of polar opposite views of the Gospels. And I think the New Testament letters really speak to this very often. There's, there's one extreme that would say, you know what, okay, Jesus died for me, and that is so great. It's like a reset button. I've got a clean slate, and now I have the opportunity 
to show to God that I, I really did receive that, and I'm going to show him by my works. And so Jesus speaks into that, right? And Paul speaks into that very often, this mentality that now it's still my own strength. I'm still relying on my own strength as if the death of Jesus was nullified. And so Paul, especially in the book of Romans and Galatians, he really tries to speak to this idea that, no, no, you can't earn anything. It is Jesus. It is all Jesus and his finished work. Anything that we can offer is like filthy rags. And that's kind of a gentle interpretation to what that actually means. It's like filthy. It's gross. There's nothing we can offer to him. Nothing will suffice except for his sacrifice. And so it's leaning into that. But then there's this other extreme. There's this, okay, Jesus has died for me, so everything's good, so let me just do whatever I want to do. Everything is permissible now. It just doesn't matter. Jesus has paid for it, so now I can just do what I want to do. And this is what Jude is speaking into here. He's speaking into this mentality that says, hey, Jesus has paid it. I can do whatever I want to do. Now, before we get into the letter, though, we really want to talk about how do you reconcile these two extremes. One essentially is a, a merit-based, a works-based mentality, and then the other one is there's no life change at all. There's no fruit. So how do we reconcile those two things? Well, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Dallas Willard. It says this. It says, it turns out that what we really think about the gospel is revealed by what we do when we realize we don't have to do anything. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, the idea that, that Christ took the punishment for my sin, thus now I can do what I want, that misses the whole point of the gospel, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus died so that we didn't have to continue doing what we wanted to do. So that we could actually uh, give up our ways of life and embrace a whole new way forward. So instead of being driven by our wants, our desires, our passions, now we can be, through the blood of Jesus Christ, actually submit to agape love running our life. That's so important, isn't it? And at the same time, it is also the realization that it is receiving the gospel that leads to life change, not changing your life that leads to receiving the gospel. And that's a huge difference. So some people think that, you know, if I, if I went to church today, then, you know, I'm kind of more in good with God now. I mean, isn't that the mentality? Isn't that kind of our nature? But that's not the gospel. It is receiving the gospel that leads to life change when we truly, genuinely receive it. And so both of those things are really important to realize. When Zacchaeus gives half he owns to the poor, that's not how he gets salvation. It was salvation that led him to give half he owned to the poor. There's a huge difference. And I'll say this, there, there will be evidence either way, right? I mean, and I don't mean to be too hard on our Christian culture today, but I would say that there are a ton of false conversions today because the bar has gotten so low. I mean, we settle for a decision when really it's about a conviction, really, than anything else. And we just you know, if somebody says, hey, that sounds pretty good, I've heard the gospel, that sounds really good to me, so sure, it would be better for me, like, to, if I'm wrong about this, <laughs> the consequences aren't as bad as if I'm wrong the other way, so sure, I'll get involved in this thing, right? Isn't that kind of the mentality a lot of times in our culture today? But Jesus expected so much more. I mean, remember the, 
the rich young ruler, remember that story where he says, there's one thing you lack, <laughs> go sell everything you own to the poor? I mean, that really makes you think, and, and what he's saying here is not that you have to give every single thing that you have away. He was creating a tension in the rich young ruler's heart to say, hey, everything's not on the table for you here. I mean, what you're trying to do is you're trying to fit me into your kingdom instead of dropping your kingdom and embracing my kingdom altogether. So it's a kind of an all-in kind of thing to say, I'm going to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow after Jesus. And this is the mode so often for many people today. It's we want salvation while we hold on to our own life. I mean, we want, yes, Jesus, please give me that, like, get out of hell free card, but I'd really like to go ahead and continue living my own life, but that's just not how it works, and this is what Jude is speaking into. Jesus says, deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow after me. It's a whole new world order for us where what we want no longer takes the driver's seat, it's what he wants that takes the driver's seat. So, with that in mind, let's get into the book of Jude. Verse 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about, long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So let's stop right there for a minute. So Jude's concern here is that there are many in the church who are promoting a gospel that says you can just do whatever you want. So he's saying, let's just call it what it is. These people here are not Christians. They are actually people who have not found new life. See, I was thinking about this. We can go against what we profess, but we really can't go against what we actually believe, can we? I mean, the point being that, that what is in us will come out. So Jude is calling that out here, and he's saying they're still a condemned people. I mean, when they are run by what they want to do, they're in fact demonstrating that they did not even embrace the gospel to begin with. But remember, in Romans and Galatians... Paul also talks about the opposite end of the extreme, too. So the idea here is that uh, we don't want to embrace our own earning, and we also don't want to be run by what we want to do. Both of those things are true about the gospel, aren't they? And I think we can fall to those two extremes to say, you know what, I'm really doing well compared to other people, so I'm feeling good, instead of it being about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Or we can say, you know what, Jesus has paid it all, so now let me continue to do what I want. And those two things may be at odds, and they're both not the gospel. Both of those things need to die as we embrace our new life in Christ. Verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now let's stop here again. Remember now, God did not give the law and then deliver his people out of Egypt when they obeyed it. He freed them, delivered them out of Egypt, and then gave the law. So the law itself does not save. It is belief or confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And of course, if we don't put our confidence 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then we remain in that bondage. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. So let's stop here for a second again. Jude uses that word instinct, and I think that really summarizes this passage really well, doesn't it? Remember we talked to uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Uh, I, I say remember, it was like a year ago, so you probably don't remember. But we talked about the old life and the new life, and how the old life really is living by your natural instincts. It's by your impulse, it's by your nature, it's about what you really want to do. You know how like a, a toddler really thinks, how can I gain power? I, I want what I want when I want it. And that's kind of the mentality of the old life as Paul displays it in Colossians 3. But our new life is really thinking beyond that. And that's what Jude is getting here because he's talking about uh, going by instinct as irrational animals do. But we aren't like animals in that way. We have a soul. We have the ability to submit to an entirely new way forward. So then he talks about the old life in Colossians 3. And then he talks about the new life. Embracing things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Agape love. They produce all these new patterns in our lives and hopefully, hopefully... <laughs> one day become a bit more natural to us as we become more and more like Christ. Verse 11. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now let's just process through this because there's a lot right there. The way of Cain. Cain gave weak sacrifices and got jealous that God accepted Abel's sacrifices. So Cain's sacrifices were kind of like, you know, when a kid, like, licks a piece of candy and they don't like it, so they hand it to you and you're like, here you go, Dad, I got this just for you. You know, it's like, thanks, really, right? But then Abel's sacrifices were more of, hey, this really means something to me and I want to share this with you. So the difference between what I want and also really what God wants, there's a big difference here, right? And then Balaam's error. Uh, this can be found in the book of Numbers and also can be found in 2 Peter. It talks about how Balaam was greedy and his God was his belly. It was what he wanted. So there's a theme here. There's a theme here. And then Korah's rebellion also refers to Numbers where he tried to usurp Moses and Aaron's authority, likely for his own gain. And I, and I say likely for his own gain. That's just me sort of interpreting the passage. It doesn't say that it was for his own gain, but... I mean, let's be honest, when you're having a rebellion, you, you really want to um, put new authority and power, and likely it's probably your own authority. So he's saying, you know, hey, Moses and Aaron, they shouldn't be in charge, and 
you know, I guess I'll assume that duty if, if we conquer this thing, right? So all these motivations are selfish motivations. It's being run by the self. It's being run by natural instincts. This is the theme that Jude's trying to portray. Verse 12. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I just love that imagery, like blown along by the wind. Whichever way their impulse tells them, or whatever new teaching tells them, they just do. And I think this is really similar to our culture today. New teachings all the time, impulse, just do what you want kind of mentality. Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming from thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Now, Jude hits on the key difference here. He says, they do not have the Spirit. You know, that is the struggle of the Christian, isn't it? To live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But in order to have the Spirit, you must be reborn into the Spirit. And so Jude is saying here that this group of people here that's teaching some of these things about just doing what you want to do, he's saying that they never were reborn into the Spirit. And if we are run by natural instincts, then it is obvious that we don't have the Spirit. There must be some sort of change evident. And that's what he says here in verse 19. I mean, you could make this whole message into that second part of verse 19. It says, um, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Jude is calling out, essentially, their lip service of the gospel. And you know, when Paul says, I think it's Romans 5, he says, you know, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what he's saying there is he's not saying, if you just say Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. In order for you to confess something, it must actually be true for you to confess it. Otherwise, it's a false confession. So if I confess to a murder I didn't commit, that doesn't all of a sudden make me the murderer. It makes me a liar. I'm just saying words. So in order to confess it, it has to be true. It has to be true in our heart. We have to make Jesus Lord and, and confess that he is Lord. So I think they've just thought here, hey, I have said that Jesus is Lord. I said the words. I prayed the prayer. And now it's over, right? I can just go on with my life. But that's just not the reality. He has to actually be Lord <laughs> and confess that he was Lord as well. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love, 
as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained, it, stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Now, see how he kind of leaves this? He, he leaves his audience with this. To him who keeps you from stumbling. To him who presents us without fault and with joy. To him, our Savior gets the glory, majesty, power, and authority. To him who is our Lord forevermore. See, that's, that's really the evidence of new life, isn't it? When everything goes to him... It's not about our own earning, and it's not about just doing what we want to do. Everything is about Him. It's directed to Him. All the praise gets directed to Him. And that's why Jude ends this this way. He's speaking directly to his dear friends and saying, Man, just keep building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Keep doing these things. Keep praising the one who deserves the praise. Keep making Jesus Lord over your life. And that's really the point of the book of Jude. It's... To call out those who really did never have salvation in the first place. And to help the people who, who have been remade in Jesus to continue being built up in what is true and not false teachings. So, I guess the question for us as we kind of conclude and get back into one more worship song is essentially, what about us tonight? I mean, what do we need to let die? I mean, have we started... Having sort of a workspace mentality, or maybe we have given in to letting ourselves have the driver's seat once again, or maybe there are areas, maybe there are blind spots that we just really haven't taken a step back to evaluate. Are there things tonight that we just need to let die and give over to Him here tonight? I think during this time of worship is probably a good time to do that. Let's pray and we'll worship. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you. For all your word. I mean, there are, there are books that maybe, you know, sometimes we just uh, don't find very popular. But there's so much truth that we can take away from these books. And so thank you for that reality. Father, I pray that you will um, use it. I pray that your word will take root into us. It will be embedded deep into us. It will grow roots. And, and there will be much fruit that comes from us just being a people who just, man, we just get saturated in your word. I mean, it's like our, like our, like our tools, our, our weapons against the enemy's schemes to just be in the word. And Father, I pray here tonight, if there's any like conviction needed, I pray that you'll provide that. If there's uh, any encouragement needed, I pray that you'll provide that. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would dwell in this place here this evening. And we love you very much, and you've been so gracious to us all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.